My name is Nate, so let me start over again, all right? So pretend like I've never done this. Hey, good morning, how are you? Hey, so good, glad to be here together. You know, this is probably like my 15,000th time uh, being in church. I'm probably not that old, but maybe close. A lot of Sundays in my life, with many of you, a lot of Sundays in my life, worshiping Jesus, and I just pray that, that we just never take that for granted or we never go through the motions. When the band is leading us in song, that we don't ever kind of get to the place like, oh, they're doing this song again, or why don't they ever do the songs I know or the songs I like, but that our heart always, the moment the countdown ends and the music starts, our hearts are just immediately attuned and focused on Jesus, I love you. Here's my heart, here are my words, here's my squeaky voice. Be blessed, enjoy it. And, and that all those moments, every song, every Sunday, it's always about him. And it, and, it never, and it never shifts or morphs into about us. I think, I think it's a good thing to come in and, expect, and be expectant and be hopeful that God will do something in your life. But I think it's a, even, I think it's a, 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 a more important place when we come in to times of corporate worship that we're deliberate about it being about him. So it's not about what goosebumps am I going to feel, what song are they going to sing that I really like, you know, how am I going to feel after it, but we flip all of that because, again, worship is not about us, and as we're in this series that God had created to remember it is not about us, it is about him. Let me sing songs that you're going to like, God. Let me lift up your name, oh God. Let me just put, let me just put praise upon praise and good word and upon good word upon you. God, you are magnificent and holy and wonderful and special and powerful and amazing. And let that be our heart during these moments. I want to. I want to I want to pause here for a minute as a church, all right? I'd like you to close your eyes. I just want to I just want to I just want to be sensitive in this moment, all right? I I'm just feeling that um I just feeling I want to pause here, all right? And as we talk about <clears throat> praising God, I want us to even begin to do that now. What I'd like you, what I'd like you to do, that everybody at every location, even if you're with us online, I want you to begin to, I, I want you to begin to tell him what you're thankful for. 
could be something that happened this morning, something that happened this week, something that happened four decades ago, even something that happened two millennia ago. God, thank you for sending Jesus for us. Thank you for your forgiveness and your salvation and your love. We absolutely love you. And today as we continue in this series, it is about your name, Jesus. You are our God. We don't need to create our own. We don't need to limit you. We don't need to make you into something that we're more comfortable with. We're going to let you be God. We're going to let you lead us and guide us and heal us and save us. We praise your name. Amen. Well, uh, man, so many things happening at Restoration Church, and um, uh, we one, I, I told you last Sunday, if you were here, that we were waiting on a closing date uh, as we purchased a property for Restoration Recovery to open a sober living home in Rochester, New Hampshire. That closing is tomorrow, all right? That is tomorrow. We are pumped about that, so we've got a series of meetings tomorrow night um, with contractor and a whole bunch of things. If you have any connections for donations, uh, uh, there's different things, cabinets, appliances, um, we've got, we have a connection for mattresses, but all of those things will be happening and moving, so if you've got those connections, reach out to us so you can help us with that. Um, otherwise, we'll just make our own connections. And uh, so that's happening tomorrow. Um, on Friday, we have a, a missions team leaving to Wyoming, uh, doing a missions trip in Wyoming. So um, at every location, I'm going to say your name. I need you to stand up. We just want to stop and pray for you if you're going to be on that trip. So Alisa, Hannah, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Colin, Pastor Victoria, uh, Nate, Brian, Adam, Charlotte, Josh, and Mike, all right? You know you're going on the trip. It's no surprise to you. So at every location, they're standing up in the room. What I'd like you to do um, is raise your hand toward these people, and let's pray for them. They're leading two, two separate teenage summer camps uh, next week, leading worship morning and night while also being uh, group leaders to teenagers, and uh, there's a lot ahead. God's going to use them in a great way. So let's pray. Lord, we pray your anointing over this missions team. God, it is, it is not just about what you're doing here, but God, your good news needs to be heard around the world. We pray for this team. We pray you would anoint them. We pray you give them supernatural strength and supernatural ability and supernatural endurance to make it through.
through the week and not to, not to limp their way out of it at the end, but to be renewed as they've seen you do miracles in this camp and miracles in their own lives. We pray, Lord God, for the teenagers who are going to be coming to these camps next week. We recognize that some are in addiction, that some are, are, are being abused. We recognize that, that some have determined in their heart that you are not real. We recognize that, that some are trying to decide whether or not to continue to follow you. We recognize that some are being called by you into, into, into vocational ministry and they're wrestling with that. And we pray, Lord God, that for every teenager, you would have your will and your way in their life. And God, that Wyoming and these churches and these teenagers will be changed according to your power and according to your plan. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can sit down. Uh, listen, if I were to ask you to describe God in one word, what would you say? One word to describe God. Yell it out to me. Yeah, um, I was expecting it to be in English, but it sounded like you guys did that in Yiddish. Um, listen, some of the things you may have said, powerful, all-knowing, loving, kind, merciful, cool, swell, um, but I don't think I heard any of these. I don't know that I've heard any of you describe God as being weak or restricted or hampered or hamstrung or pathetic. We, I don't think any of us would describe God that way, even if as you sit in our service you don't believe in him. I, probably you wouldn't even describe him that way if you didn't believe in him. Our understanding of God is one of power, one of authority, one of greatness. In this series, the God I created, one of the things that we've been looking at is how we take the God of the ever-expanding universe and we end up creating him and putting him into these small containers, these small understandings, or we even take this huge, enormous, powerful, perfect God and shift our worship from him into something else, like ourself. The universe should revolve around me. I should determine what's right and wrong. I should determine the path and course of my life. God needs to stay out of it. We talked about how the creator of the universe, instead of, instead of worshiping him, we end up worshiping his creation. There's all kinds of different ways that we take this majestic and powerful God and end up creating him and crafting him or, or a likeness of him or something like him because it is just, it feels better to us, safer to us, uh, or, or it makes more sense to us. One of the things we're going to look at today is how as Christians, 
and how as people who love God, we still can be tempted with creating a likeness of God and worshiping that instead of God. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet. We've, we've talked about uh, uh, judges and kings and, 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 and prophets were another way that God was, was bringing correction to his people. He was leading his people and he was speaking to his people. So Isaiah is one of the major prophets as he's written this book and, and he, he led and spoke um, for God. Uh, for many, many years. And in this passage we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 44, it is um, Isaiah talking to Israel about the gods they were creating. So it's kind of fitting here as we end this series that we look at something that is pretty common. It's been going on for thousands of years. We have an opportunity to know God and be friends with God, but instead, we end up making our own God. So we're going to start reading at verse number six. We'll read verses six through eight, and then we'll pause, but go ahead and keep your Bibles open there because we're going to continue to read that in a minute. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No. There is no other rock, not one. We can, you know, right off, like, we can be challenged with that. When we experience Jesus, and we recognize, oh my word, Jesus, he's Real. He loves me. He knows me. He's saved me. He's forgiven me. It is a, a miraculous, a powerful, and exciting moment for us in our life. And, and praying for you that, that if you've never experienced that, that you will today, that you will allow Jesus to be your Savior and your God. But something happens either in the investigative process of Jesus or, or in the moments where we begin to learn what it is to follow him and to be a disciple of his, we recognize, wait a minute, so you're telling me Jesus is the only way to heaven. You're telling me that Jesus is the son of God, that there is only one God. I have a hard time with that. What about my family members who are another religion? What about my, what about my friends who, who don't know? What about these, all these other belief systems? And all the, aren't they all the same? Aren't they all leading to the same God? And God has spoken through Isaiah here to say, no, there is not. There is only one. There are not many, many different paths that lead to him, but there is just 
one path, Jesus. And this begins to cause tension and we can feel guilty about believing that, but we should not feel guilty about believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven of our sins, that Jesus is the only, uh, only way that we can be delivered from hell. We shouldn't feel guilty of that. We should feel compelled to share him with others. He's the only path, if he's the only way, if he's the only God, we don't declare that in a cocky, arrogant way. We don't declare that in a condemning way of other people. We share that in a, in, in a, in a compassionate way, in an urgent way, in a, in a, in a um, even a privileged way to say, wait, haven't you heard? Don't you know? Can I share with you what I've experienced, what he's done in my life? I, I, I was thinking about this this week, different times when I was driving, and, and I, I, I don't share this in an arrogant way, but something, as we recorded the podcast this week, something in that conversation just kind of has been stuck in my mind all week, and that at 14, so I've always grown up in church. You know, probably from when I was like a week or two weeks old, I've been in church. My parents brought me. We were one of the families that went every single week, and we never missed, except for vacation. And, and so I've always grown up in church. But the moment I turned, four, when I was 14 years old, and I experienced God for the first time, all right, from that moment, I never... I never questioned my relationship with God. I never doubted God. I never walked away from God. Now, I, I had moments of, of tragic sin, so I was not, I'm not a perfect person, all right? But I've never walked away from God. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know how you do that. I don't comprehend that. Um, it, it, I know it's something that's, that's kind of infiltrating culture in a big way in a lot of public stories about, I used to be a Christian, now I'm not anymore, um, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Because it's not something that I've ever, I've, I mean, in that moment when, when I met God and I experienced God, I mean, that just settled it for me. And there's theological questions that I can't answer. There's difficult questions that, that I don't understand. But the one thing I understand is, no, God is who he says he is. He's powerful and he loves me and he forgives me and he, and he wants me. And for you, he wants that for you as well. There is no other God. And so as I've lived my life, it's a primary reason that I became a pastor because I want people to know him and experience his love the way I did as a teenager and the way I still continually do. As we look at God, he is, he, he is much more powerful 
than we understand. He is much more complex than we understand. He is much more wonderful than we understand. God, as he tries to convey himself to us, he even has a hard time doing that because we cannot describe him with just one word. We cannot even describe him with just one name. In scripture, God, he reveals himself to us in multiple different ways with multiple different names to help us to understand who he is and how different he is than us, how much more powerful and wonderful he is than us. Some of the names that you read about in scripture is God describes himself to us, El Shaddai, Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Sidkenu, um, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, all different names that reveal this complex nature of God, this wonderful, mysterious, wonder-working power of God. We cannot just simply say, I believe in God, because you can say, I believe in God, but reject all of these things. And when we, what we're trying to do is not take this God, powerful, uncreated, spectacular God, and turn him into something that we've created. You're missing out if you do that. Isaiah continues on in verse number nine, and we're gonna read a, a big bulk of scripture here. But I just want you to, to allow this, to take this scripture and put it against your life, to put it against your heart. As maybe you've been limiting God, you've been making God into something that you want, and I just want you to, just evaluate what you're doing and what you're missing out on according to God as he speaks through Isaiah. Verse number nine, how foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit. All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a god. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak, it makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives a human beauty and puts it on a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, 
he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Verse number 18. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Look up at me. These are, these are some strong words. Isaiah is preaching this message to people who have experienced God. So he's not just putting down, putting down people, all right? But he, and so if you're a Christian and you've received Jesus as your savior, then these harsh words are to you. There's a God who's hung on the cross. There's a God who's uncreated. There's a God who's all-powerful, but yet you've created your own God? There's a God who sent his son to save you, but yet you've made that smaller and more containable, and now you're taking this thing that you've created and you're asking it to rescue you instead of the God who actually came to rescue you? What is wrong with your thinking? Why are you missing that? And he's speaking harsh to those who know the truth but yet are not stopping to realize what they're doing. All right. I want to talk through some ways that I've seen Christians create their own God within Christianity. So it's not like you're coming to church and then you're worshiping, um, uh, you, you know, one, one of the gods in India or you're worshiping Buddha or, or, or any other, uh, you know, Native American totem pole. So it's not like you've gone from worshiping Jesus to now another religion. How within Christianity, thinking you're still worshiping God, have we cr maybe created images or created gods that are, not, that are not God? So I'm gonna share some things that I've seen over the years, and I just want you to stop and reflect if you've done this. So here's the first one, and honestly, it feels a little bit scary to talk about it because I just feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make someone angry. But I don't want to make you angry. I want you to stop and reflect. So here's, 
Here's one that I see often. It is with the religious symbol of a cross. A cross. And I have met people who have taken the image of the cross and they are worshiping it instead of the man who hung on that cross. And I've honestly experienced this more times at Restoration Church over the last 20 years than I care to admit. And we get pressure. Every once in a while, we get some pressure. Why don't you have crosses on the building or on the outside of the building? And this is why, all right? So it's maybe a pendulum swing because I've experienced so many people who've said to me, I can't worship if there's not a cross. Well, that's a little bit, it's a little bit confusing to me. Or at different times when we've had crosses up in an auditorium and then later we took them down and people get very angry, how dare you take down the cross? Like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Where in scripture, where anywhere in scripture does it say that we must have a cross. In fact, I meant to research this this week, but the cross was not even a symbol of Christianity till quite some time. It was the disciples, the apostles, the early church fathers, none of them are saying, listen, the cross, put it at the forefront and make sure you kiss it and you hug it and you reflect on it continually and always. And I've, over my years of, of growing up in New Hampshire, I've met many people who wear a cross around their neck and will pray holding the cross and will kiss the cross. But I've met many people who wear a cross around their neck who, who don't follow Jesus, who don't know Jesus, who've never met Jesus. And so they're worshiping a symbol and they're missing the Savior. And does it mean we'll never have crosses under buildings? No, absolutely not. But honestly, it's a fight that I'm tired of fighting. And to be told, I don't think you're a real Christian. I don't think you're a real church because you don't have a cross. I think, I don't think you're a real Christian because you don't have a Christ. You have an image of, of, of a Savior, and you've placed the image at the forefront instead of the Savior. And if there's places in Scripture that says you have to have crosses hanging up in your places of worship, please show it to me because I, 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 I'm allowed to, I, I would be, the word of God can and should correct me and we'll have crosses everywhere. But wearing it around your neck doesn't make you go to heaven. Having it in your, it, it, hanging on the rooftop of your church doesn't mean you're preaching Christ and showing it around the world does not mean that you're going to heaven because again, the cross doesn't lead us to Christ. The Christ on the cross leads us to his father. We can't get that mixed up. So let's talk about another one uh, that I've seen. So not so much in our church background, but but I've met different people over the years um, uh, and certainly I have family members who have a picture of Jesus over their bed. It's pretty common actually. And it's a picture of Jesus, to, and, and that picture becomes superstitious in a, in a similar way that the cross can. They don't know Jesus. They don't even pray to Jesus. They find comfort in a picture of Jesus. But listen, 
is something greater than a painting of Jesus, you can know Jesus yourself. Instead of looking at a painting before you go to bed, you can actually talk to him. Jesus, protect me. Jesus, comfort me. Jesus, forgive me. You do not need a representation of him in order to be near him. In fact, we'll read here in just a second as the band comes forward that uh, one of the commandments is that you shouldn't do that. Another one here is of the Bible, and this one's interesting, right? Because you have people who, who have like a family copy of the Bible that they protect, uh, that they carry around, that they pass down from generation to generation, um, that they, you know, that they keep on the bookshelf, but they never read it. And so what the Bible becomes, it becomes, uh, it becomes uh, just a symbol. It becomes a, a God in its own. And you have reverence for the book, but not reverence for the author. And our copies of the Bible, our copies of God's word, this book is supernatural, all right? It's alive, it is powerful. It is the very words of God putting, putting down into 66 different books written by, uh, by God-inspired authors over several thousand years men and women, like, inspired, 100%, important, 100%. We need it. We need to honor it. We do need to revere it. But, but our reverence is not for a book. It's for the author of the book, God. And if we hold the book higher than we hold God, what happens is we just see it as an ancient sacred text and we never read it. We never allow God to speak to us through it. We never build our relationship with him through it. Last one here is just traditionalism. Wanting church but not actually necessarily wanting God just wanting to be comfortable it needs to look a certain way it needs to it needs to have a certain style and it needs to never change listen God is bigger than some of the old traditional things of hymns and pews and organs and stained glass he's he's bigger than that but also he's bigger than lights and loud music and bands and we're pretty open. At some point, if we ever need to, we're gonna, we'll, we'll switch our music to either being rap or country western, the two most popular genres of music. When we need to, we'll do that. And so we'll all be coming in and yeah, maybe, maybe a few years from now, I'll be 70 years old sitting on the front row rapping to Jesus. Um, 
but we'll do it when we need to, when the culture around us, when that's the tools that God's used to express worship to Him. Listen. Creating our own God is such a waste of time. All of the effort that the woodcarver goes into tracing it and whittling it and cutting it and painting it. All the time you put into kissing your cross, dusting off a book, fighting over tradition, when instead you could be sitting and hanging out with Jesus. When instead you could know him Instead, you could be loved and changed by him. Exodus chapter 20, the second commandment. God says you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, the entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. God doesn't want us worshiping images of him. He doesn't want us making any images of him. There, the, there is a, a series of shows called The Chosen, which are a lot of fun, amazing. For me, the first, depiction of Jesus on the screen that I'd actually want to hang out with. All the other, like to me, every other movie about Jesus, I'd be like, man, who would ever want to be with that guy? He's so weird. He's just so like, so weird. He's like a judgmental librarian. But this depiction of Jesus, it's like, wow, he's fun, he's nice, he's cool, he's powerful. And it's like, I would want, that's the Jesus like that, that I think I understand. But even watching that show can get you, you know, some people are like, we shouldn't be making any images of him. But it's a challenge, right? Because if you have an image of him, your natural, next natural intention is to worship him. And if you begin to pray, and you've got flashes of Jonathan Rumi coming through your head, who's the actor who plays Jesus, then guess what? Jonathan Rumi is a, is a terrible Jesus. He's a bad God. He's a poor representation of Jesus. Because even in that TV show, and he's the, the Jesus who's more, most like Jesus, all right, is the one that I think he is, I'd actually want to spend time with that depiction of Jesus. Get what? Guess what? It still is such a terrible image of who Jesus actually is because he's far greater and far superior than even the one you watch in that series. God does not want us to make any images of him because he does not want us to contain him. The golden calf we talked about last week, God's at the mountaintop, thunder and lightning and clouds, and they're like, no, no, let's make a golden calf. 
God's too big and too scary. Listen, how does limiting God affect us? It says here in verse number five, the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations who reject me. When you, say you believe, say you've, you've met Jesus, but you also, you know, you've got crosses and paintings of Jesus around your house. The challenge is, if you're not careful, you raise your kids to follow symbols and paintings instead of ever actually introducing them to Jesus. So then they worship symbols and paintings and then they raise their kids and their kids are like, how superstitious, how stupid. And God becomes a troll doll at a bingo night instead of being creator of the heavens and the earth. Listen, as we end our preaching time together, I just need you to reflect over this whole series. Is there a God you've created? Is there a way you've taken God, this all-powerful, spectacular, majestic being, and tried to create him into just religious symbol that you interact with at your convenience or when you need help? Have you taken the story of God and crafted it into something that you use as a keepsake? Or have you taken your life and laid it before God Almighty and said, you are my Lord, you are my God, you have my heart, you have my will, you have my life, whatever you want, you can have. Whatever you want to do with me, you can do with me. Whatever you need from me, I will, I will do it for, for you. You are my God. I am not your God. You are my leader. These things are not my leader. You have control of my comfort. I won't determine even what I'm comfortable with. You are God, and I bow for you. This is what I want from you at this series. Throw off all these little gods. Throw off all these little things that you're putting your trust in and instead put your trust in God Almighty. You close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Jesus, forgive us for minimizing you. Forgive us for trusting a cross instead of you, our Christ. Forgive us for, for, for holding reverence for a book and not reverence for its author. Forgive us, God, for making church about us and, and it not being about you and it not being about those who have yet to know you. We repent right now. We ask for your forgiveness for worshiping things other than you. We ask for your forgiveness for putting our trust in things other than you. We ask for you to restore us to yourself. Jesus, we love you. We recognize that God sent you to save us. 
and we allow you to save us. Forgive us from our sins. Be our Lord and our God, our only Lord and our only God. And we cast aside everything else. Our life is in your hands. Our life is yours. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand to your feet and let's worship that God who saved us.